Amen. If you'd remain standing uh, before we transition, I just wanted to remind you uh, we're pretty excited about something that we announced last week as a church. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, uh, the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and we're, we're devoting ourselves and our hearts and our minds to a chapter a week. Um, so if you're just hearing about this, you're not even close to behind. It's not homework. But when we sing that song, Lord, I need you, right? And if that, if that was true in your heart online um, or in the room, man, if we need him, where we meet him is in church and worship and life, and all, but specifically in his word, right? So if you need him, then you also need to be connected to him in his word. So we're doing that together. We think there's a lot of power in that, of going to the Word uh, together as a church over the next 16 weeks as we go through the 16 chapters of Mark, uh, just on your own. So we're going to be putting some stuff out there on our social media channels website to help you if that's foreign to you or hard for you, you're not sure where to start. Um, We'll be putting some stuff out to help you. But in the meantime, just read it, just study it, just pray over it, just meditate on it, just think about it. It's not a chapter a day. It's a chapter a week. So the idea is not that you read a chapter on Saturday night so you, you know, you're good, right? The, the idea is that you would do something, interact with it on a daily basis. Maybe you read the whole chapter, chapter two, we start today. Uh, maybe you read the whole chapter, maybe a paragraph tomorrow. Maybe you just sit and pray and ask God, what do you want to, to speak to my heart? We're, again, we'll help you with that. Um, but this last week, chapter one, uh, there's this amazing verse where it says that Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark and went off to a solitary place to pray. And the idea that Lord, that we just sang that we need you, that, he, that our Lord in a human body and the uh, exhaustion and the fatigue and the temptation that comes with humanity, he was both God and man at the same time, that he needed to get up before everybody else to seek his father and to commune and to be with his father Man, it just shows and reminds me how desperately we need him. We need him together. We need him today. We need to be here together. We also need to be with him in his word. So we just are excited about that challenge um, and seeing what God's going to do. So join us in that as we uh, go into chapter two this week. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, um, the power of your word is one of the pillars one of the ways that we know this isn't a, a, a fairy tale or something we've made up on our own is, man, that you can actually work through words that were written, not by, by man, but, but the source of your Holy Spirit, that, that those words can still, 2,000 years later, reach into our hearts and, and affect us and encourage us and change us and transform us and unite us. And God, we just pray that... Um, not just Sundays, but Mondays too, like we would, we'd be excited about meeting you in your word. And this week specifically, God, that as a church, we could just give time and space without distractions and watch how you'll meet us and love us and help us through Mark chapter two. And we pray right now, God, that your word would be uh, preached, that your spirit would be in charge of this room and anybody listening to this outside of this room, that you would have your way with our hearts and our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So church, it's been a little while. It is wonderful to be back um, in the room. Um, I hope that you're able to keep up with us on what we've done online the last few weeks, but um, we hope that this is the norm of being in here together 
We announced on January 9th, uh, which was the last time that we were all here, believe it or not, three weeks ago, we, we announced a, a massive announcement of something coming for our church on March 20th, uh, which is a return to two services, but it's, it's much bigger than that. It's, it's a return to uh, full-on, 100%, um, everything rocking, rolling, fellowship, um, coffee, donuts. Now, again, we'll always be sensitive um, to, to people's needs and all that, but we're, we're, we're building towards March 20th, and we're going to need your help in doing that. We'll talk about that as we, as we zoom closer. I mean, February starts this week. Um, but this series is called By Faith, and we're starting our year with that on purpose um, because it's that whole decision and just a lot of things that we're going to be walking through together as a church in 2022. A lot of the things that God's calling you to specifically in your life that I would have no way of knowing about are going to be by faith. So we've talked about, we defined faith in week one. Uh, we talked about uh, walking by faith, not by sight last week. And, and today we're going to talk a, um, a, a different side of that. But I want to start with, um, with a line from a speech, right? Sometimes when you preach or you give a speech, sometimes you, you stir the pot a little bit. And, and this line is, is, what, 60 years old. This is from a speech from Dr. King. Um, he gave speeches all over, as you know, but this is a unique speech because he was invited to a seminary. Uh, Southern uh, Baptist Theological Cemetery. Uh, cemetery. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. It's funny that I did, though. Uh, seminary uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and this was a big deal, as you might imagine. Um, there was uh, churches that, you know, from that moment on, quit funding the seminary uh, because they dared bring in Dr. King. And um, a black man to speak at a chapel service was, was not okay with certain folks. And um, this was, you know, 1961. If you know your history, this is before anything had been passed. This is before the civil rights uh, movement had accomplished um, some of the laws that were passed later in the 60s. So this is very early. So he's invited, but he's not speaking to, you know, the culture or trying to get a law change. He's speaking to the church. Um, and in the middle of this speech in 1961, he says this, so often in the church, we've had a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. Uh-huh, right? We just, we talk about being still, maybe just sit on that. I, I didn't see, you know, how, and I'm not, I'm not uh, hating on this. That's, it's great. You know, a few weeks ago, we celebrated his birthday and you see all the quotes and I, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one posted um, as one of his more famous quotes. That's a, that's a real harsh but raw statement from 1961. And it's specifically, and he's for the church, and there's a lot around that. I'm going to come back to that at the end of this message and tell you kind of the context of why he said what he said that in the middle of. But what he's saying, if you don't know the, the, the science or the health of it, right, a high blood pressure, right, that, that, that of, of creeds that were good at saying the stuff in the church, but were lacking in the action and follow-through that would go with, that our, our walk and our talk in the church aren't necessarily working together. So in this by faith, 
right? There's a whole argument. Sometimes we learn by argument, and there's actually arguments. If you study scripture, you learn people are arguing in scripture. There's, there's stuff that's being put out there in culture, and, and the Holy Spirit used uh, writers of these letters to deal with like what's going on in the day today. And we're going to look at that. It's really, a, uh, Dr. King was actually referencing all the way back uh, to something that James wrote. So if you don't know James, if you're a skeptic in the room, if you're a skeptic online, uh, some of you, I'm looking out at this room, it's beautiful. Some of you are used to be skeptics. I just remember sitting down with some of you at tables and just a thousand questions about how could this be real and just seeing God work it out in your life is so amazing. So wherever you're at, but if uh, James, if you're a skeptic, or you, James is your guy, right? I call him Jimbo because I got a lot of history with James. We're pretty tight, but, but if you probably should call him James if you don't know him like that. But James, Jimbo, was the half-brother of Jesus. Same mom, <clears throat> uh, but he was fully human. He wasn't God like Jesus. James, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus, right? That's a tough, like sometimes we get jealous of siblings, like my brother is supposed to be this big deal, this rabbi, messiah, whatever. James didn't believe it, right? And sometimes that hurts people's faith. Like, how can you grow up with the son of God? If he didn't think he was the son of God, then, ha- then maybe he wasn't the son of God. But if you really think about it, it really is a huge faith builder, right? Because he didn't believe it because he was supposed to or because somebody told, because Jesus laid really low for 30 years. And then his ministry started and James was embarrassed because my, my brother's out there telling people he's the son of God. And, and that's like, how could that be? James didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God until after and what changed his mind? Probably the only thing that could change your mind if your brother told you that he was the son of God. Seeing a dead brother fully dead and then seeing him fully alive changed not only the world and time and your life, but also changed the life of this man named James. And he gave the rest of his life as a pillar of the Jerusalem New Testament church that we are a continuance of today. And he wrote one a letter that is part of Scripture, part of the New Testament. Any guesses of what we call that book that James wrote? Jimbo, my people, right? It's called James, or if you're in the know, it's, it's, it's pretty, that was a trick question, right? So this section of Scripture, James is speaking and writing a letter powered by the Holy Spirit to the church, and there's an argument going on that is very relevant to our discussion of by faith, very relevant to what Dr. King just said. We'll start in verse 14 when he asked two questions. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but, not, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So two questions. One, is it of any value if you have faith but there's no action with it? Is that like part of the process? Is that like baby Christian, you'll grow into it? Is there any value if you're saying the right stuff but there's no works to go with it. Second question, which is like a much deeper question, and the question that a lot of people are asking today is what actually saves a man? And he says, that kind of faith, the kind of faith that says all the right stuff, like you can answer the test and I believe this, believe that, but doesn't have the action to go with it, does that faith actually produce salvation? As we talk about around here, being rescued and adopted. Right, huge questions, and and today in 2022, it is so so common. It is so so easy to find a version of faith that doesn't seem to have the action with it. Verse 15, he he starts to answer his own question. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, 
right? That means they don't have any clothes, not like they're wearing the wrong brand, right? Poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Right, if I have a flat tire this morning, cold as it is, right, and I'm on 401, and you guys that come that way, and you see me, he's like, man, that looked like pastor. Huh. And kept on rolling. Most of you wouldn't do that. But, but the example would be better if you, you're like, man, that looked like, that looked like David. I'm, I'm going to go to the next stoplight, go back, go around, and you pull up beside me, and you roll down your window, and you're like, dude, you look cold. That's a, man, I hope you got a spare. I'm going to get on to church, but we'll pray for you. Right? Appreciate that. Right? You, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. Right? You would at least just roll by and act like you didn't see me. No, I didn't see you. Right? But nobody's going to do that. And James is using this extra stupid example of like, who does that? But he's saying, and God is saying to church, to individuals, to me, man, it is easy to live this life and just see the need and say, I believe and I'll pray for you. Be warm and filled and not do anything to help you be warm and filled. Verse 17, he answers his question. What good is it? He says this. So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Man, he's writing a letter to some Christian folks, and he's saying, for some of you, your faith is not immature faith. It's not faith that needs a little tweaking. It's dead faith. That's rough, right? The, I don't know if anything happened where you were, where I live. Um, I don't even know why. I didn't look it up. We, we lost power for like four hours yesterday, last night. Power lines went down somewhere and, and knocked us out, right? So we have a house. We're blessed, right? We had appliances. We have like, check this out. We have internet at our house, wireless. It's amazing. And it was all worthless for four hours, because there was no power source to power it, right? And God, through James, to the church, to relentless church, to your life, to us, to online, he said, like, let's check, let's be real, let's not be scared to be honest with us, because if we're, if we're super good at saying the right stuff and, and nothing's going with it, then it's like a house without power. The power is not in the, in the deeds, the power is in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is going to Produce a faith that always has works with it. He continues the argument. Someone will say, verse 18, you've got faith, I've got works. He quotes somebody. He's talking to somebody that's making that argument. Hey, some people have this, some people have that. And then James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Right? And it's like, whoa, he's, he's coming on strong. What, what he's saying is... He's beating against the desire to separate the two things. They're, they're inseparable. You can't, you can't pull them apart. Like faith and works, you can't. It's, it's, it's hostile to the gospel when you start to try to make them two different things. And you want to say, well, some people are gifted in faith, and then some people are more, you know, gifted in works. James like, stop it. There's no such thing. It's either faith that has works or it's dead faith. Those are the options. Faith that has works with it or it's dead faith. And then he goes one step further in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. 
Even the demons believe and shudder. He's proving his, like his bottom line nail in his argument. If you think it's about belief, there's somebody else, a group of beings that believe that God is who he says he is. There's one God. And he's, if, if you believe that and you're patting yourself on the back because I got faith, James is saying, God is saying, that ain't faith. We talk about all the time. It's not completely worthless to believe in God. It's almost completely worthless to believe in God. Because our culture has put a value on belief that scripture does not put. When we say belief, we, we mean a mental checking of, yeah, there's a God out there. That's not what God has called us to. That's not the gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic church that we want to be. And here James says, demons believe in God. And you don't want their future. right? So if you're banking on your belief, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Demons believe and they're fearful of the God they believe in. They know he's real, but they don't follow. So if you just believe in God, just, not, nothing, I want you to believe in God, but if, if believing in God is all you got, then the scripture would call that dead faith. And I'm not accusing you. This is an encouraging message. Stay with me. But I think we can ask this question. If you were to gather a group of people and call it a church and the commonality among them is they had a dead faith that didn't have action with it, then I think that a group of people with dead faith would produce a dead church. What's the definition of a dead church? A church that says the right things, but doesn't impact the needs around them. A church that has the right stuff. We still don't have beliefs listed on our website drives people nuts. Like, come. Come see what we're about, right? But it's not a statement of faith. It is, we believe in Scripture, and we need, honestly, we, it's been long enough now. We're not a brand new church. People, we need to, we're not scared of what we believe. We believe in the authority of Scripture and all those things. We'll eventually get them on there. But it's, man, it's not about stated beliefs. It's about stated beliefs and the action that they produce. Now, I kind of wish James would just stop there. But then, then he goes and uses the example that's really hard to explain, but we'll try. James 2, verse 20. Don't you, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Now we know James is talking to somebody. He just, you imagine being called a fool in the Bible for all time. He didn't name the dude, thankfully, so we don't know. But he's, he's talking to somebody. You want to be shown, you idiot, that faith apart from works is useless? It's useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Let me go ahead and read these next two verses and I'll try to help us figure this out. You see, verse 22, that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. All right, so if you don't know the story, the reason this is really problematic, because we always say God will never, Scripture will never contradict itself, God will never ask you to do something again, and there's this crazy scenario where God chooses Abraham, and I'm going to make a great nation, all these promises of the covenant that eventually led to Jesus, that led to the, the, the New Testament church that we're a part of, in that... It's all going to happen through the lineage and offspring of Abraham, and specifically Isaac, and it's this son that God asked Abraham to sacrifice, kill on an altar. 
And people, like skeptics, if you've read a lot of stuff about you know, people that are anti-Christianity, they love this story, like what kind of God would ask a father to kill a child, right? And, and you got to kind of get into the, the weeds and understand that it was a faith, it was a, the biggest faith moment that you can imagine, and God's intention was never to kill the child. But he used an extreme example, an extreme situation to see. And again, Abraham was a friend of God. He was walking and talking. They were hearing each other talk like we're hearing each other talk today. So it was a completely different relationship. It wasn't, right, all the crazy, all the crazy in church world and religious world, it always comes from somebody saying, God told me, and God told them to do something crazy. And usually, immoral, right? It's the common, we've talked about that before. The commonality of a bunch of these cult leaders, it's crazy how they're so different, but God always tells them to sleep with other people's wives. It's a crazy how that works like that, isn't it? Right? So, you know, when you're hearing stuff and, and that's different, this is God speaking out loud to his chosen person and saying, I want you to go sacrifice Isaac, knowing that that was never actually going to happen. And it was actually a beautiful picture of God providing a lamb and how he would provide Jesus. So we don't have to die, that Jesus will die in our place, um, that death isn't forever. And that Abraham even believed, we know later, Abraham even believed that God would work it out. He believed it was going. I don't know if he's going to stop me. I don't know if he's going to let me kill my kid and raise him from the dead. But he knew there had to be more to the story. James, talking about faith and action, uses the most crazy example of God asking, I don't know of anything harder that God ever asked anybody to do than what he asked of Abraham. But Abraham's faith was so sure that this can't be what it looks like, and God knows what he's doing, that he walked through it. It's faith and action. Right? And I don't want us to be the church. We're a church for the untold, unconvinced. I want people, when they come in here for the first time, which, praise God, we're getting back to the place and season where people are going to be coming here for the first time. Right? I don't want people to come in here and think, man, those people are nuts. Right? We, we try to do things and explain things and help people. But some of you in your own personal life, and I wouldn't even know, you're so scared of looking crazy. And you just can't follow this God in 2022. You're just not going to get through a personal walk with God without him ever calling you to do something or not do something or go somewhere or not go somewhere or start something or stop something without somebody in your life thinking, dude, that's crazy. It's not a normal, it's not a natural life. This faith in action is supernatural. And I say that with excitement, not with, with fear. He ends this section of scripture James does by saying, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you've been around us or any gospel-centered church, right, we, we preach that we're saved by faith, by grace through faith. It's not what we do, it's what he did. We preach that all the time. The gospel is that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And here's, here's James is saying very boldly, almost, if you know Romans, uh, the book of Romans, almost contradicting what Paul said in Romans. Because here James says, you're justified, made right by works. Now, the, the context, this, this, this justification is not the normal like righteousness. We're just saying he's my righteousness. He's not saying you're made righteous by works. He's just talking about a right relationship. There's not a contradiction here because of that word alone. 
He said, you're not, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What is faith alone? That's, what, that's the straw man that he's built up that now he's knocking down. There is no such thing as faith alone. If faith is alone and there's no works to go with it, it's dead faith to begin with. So you can't possibly be saved by believing in God. Isn't that sad, America? You know hundreds of people, or at least dozens. There are the main answer, the number one answer on the surveys. People think the, the way to heaven is through believing in God, and scripture is clear. Believing in God is not going to get anybody to heaven. How, how's that possible, right? If we didn't have scripture, if we didn't speak the same language, it would kind of make sense. We do. We've had this for 2,000 years, and we still have not gotten the word out of what this is about. It's a faith in God, but that faith can never be detached from works. The faith produces works. So if you want to talk about, I just believe in God, and that's all I got, you got nothing. Because the faith, now, now, if I heard this message at 22 years old, right? So what for me, seven, eight years ago? <laughs> if I heard this message at 22 years old, especially if I stop now, which I'm not, it ain't even 11 o'clock. I got all kinds of time. It's no football for Panther fans, right? First kickoff is three. Y'all good here till three? All right, just kidding. Thanks for your honesty. If I heard this message when I was 22, I would leave, and it ended right here, I would leave here, and I would leave here, oh, I'm going to go get some work, I'm going to get some works with my faith. This week, at least, it'd probably get me through a month, two, three weeks of like, oh, faith alone doesn't do me any good, right? And I was a, an action performance, and I would leave here almost feeling pressure. Oh, man, I don't want to have a dead faith. That can't be me. Right? So, so I got to make sure that we don't leave here feeling pressure because that's not the intent of God or the scripture or the gospel. Right? So here, here's one way that we could talk about human obedience. Human obedience, this is on the screen, is an evidence of a right relationship, not the means to a right relationship. Does that make sense? Human obedience, I'm going to choose to obey God. That's evidence that I am in right, that I have faith. It's just a demonstration that there's something there, right? And, and disobedience, right? We all struggle. It's not, it's not talking about perfection. Human obedience, is, it's evidence of a right relationship, but it's not the way that I get in a right relationship. And that may sound like no big deal. I'm telling you, that has ruined so many human beings. It almost ruined me. Getting that confused. If you think my obedience is the way I get right with God, oh, I want to pray for you right now. Because if you think by your obedience, you're right with God, when you obey, you think you've earned it. You think God's impressed with you. You think, look at that little child. He does it right if everybody be more like him. And you're not going to be able to avoid the worst thing that Jesus talked about, spiritual pride, looking down on others because they're not behaving as well as you. And then eventually you're going to disobey and you're either going to cover it up and lie to yourself and others because you can't be that person or you're going to know if my obedience got me right with God, my disobedience, now I'm not right with God. And you're going to live a spiritual roller coaster life that we were not meant to live. It doesn't gain you entrance into relationship with God. Jesus did that, right? But as you walk with Jesus, your works will demonstrate that Jesus is real. If you're no different and you're not living any different and you say Jesus came into your life and he's your Lord and Savior and his Holy Spirit lives in you, 
then either he's not real or the relationship's not real, right? So it's not a, it's not a means, it's, it's evidence. Because here's the difference in Christianity and every other religion, right? I have so many conversations through the years with people struggling and seeking, and I love them, like, I love the conversations. And a lot of times you hear, you know, they're, they're, all the religions are just the same with different, different words and different names. It's like, man, you gotta study more. Because there, there, there is a commonality to almost all religions of what the person, the human, has to do to get to God. And it's some steps or some program or some belief or some, some system and behavior-based. This is what I do to get to God. The gospel teaches that you are never, ever going to get to God. Like your best attempt at living this life would fall way short. The only religion that puts the spotlight on God and not man is Christianity. Christianity is built on we're so messed up we could live our whole lives trying to be good enough and fall miles short. And I was like, well, that's no, that's super encouraging that God loved us enough to come to rescue and adopt, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. And we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by a work, and it wasn't ours. The work of Jesus is what saves us. And that's super encouraging to our lives. So we try to hammer religion around here a lot because, you know, nothing is more offensive. Nothing is more offensive to God than trying to good your way to God. Why? Let's, let's make sure we understand that. I've said that statement, I don't always explain it. Why would I say that? There's a lot of ways to offend God. Like all the evil going on there, you know, all the stuff that's happening in our world. You're telling me there's nothing more offensive than trying to be good to God? There's nothing more offensive than trying to be good thinking your goodness is going to earn you salvation. Why is that the most offensive? Because Jesus and the plan from the beginning in Genesis was always to bring Jesus into the world to be our Savior on the cross, raised from the dead. If you can good your way to God, then Jesus' entrance to this world, his brutal death and his amazing resurrection were for nothing. You don't need him because you can good your way to God. If you can good your way to God, then, then God wasted the sacrifice of his son on the cross. That's why that is most offensive to God. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by a work. That's the gospel. That's why we, man, I... I, I you know, in sports with my kids and now they're teenagers just trying to work through life. I'm seeing young people in the room and what we want is not for you to be perfect. We want you to own when you mess up and then fight and figure it out and do better, right? And not give in and not quit and stay with it. Like that's, that's what a lot of us, I think we could agree on those statements. That's what we want. Like that's, and that's part of like America and part of what is you know, in our DNA, like we're going to find a way, we're going to, you know, go to a new land, we're going to do our own thing and make our own government and, and whatever happens, we'll figure it out and we'll fight through it and, we'll, and there's some good in all that. I'm not banging on that. The problem is the gospel. We try to apply that to the gospel and the gospel says, you can't figure this out. You're not good enough. Well, if I go and work and no, no you'll never, ever be good enough. There's nothing in you that will ever be capable of being holy. It's hopeless. Well, what if I read the Bible? No, no, it's hopeless. There's no version of you that will ever be okay with God on its own. You'll never, if you go acting like the test, well, and then what do we do? We start comparing. Well, I may fail the test, 
but if I got a higher F than somebody else? It's like, no, you both failed. Who cares? There is no, there's, there's no numbers. It's just pass, fail, and we all failed. We all failed. Like, that's so freeing. Quit trying to act like you're whatever. Like, we all failed, fallen short, and Jesus came. So we don't get saved by what we do or how well we perform. We're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. But with that is this idea of faith producing action. So I think sometimes we get confused about the how with the wow. Now, the how is wow. Don't get me wrong. The how is Jesus came and took our place and died for our sins and rose from the dead and then offered us the Holy Spirit to live through us. So, so the how is Jesus did it for us. And that's, we talk about that a ton, and that's beautiful. But, and that's wow. But then there's the other wow of God working. You know, we just sang God will work. That's been, uh, that's been the song, uh, me and, and Jackson, like that's our go-to. We've been on that song for months, right? So I'm so glad we're finally bringing it into Relentless. God will work it out. Part of that working it out is the wow of him working through your life. Right? I stand up here so many weeks and I use the same verbiage sometimes. I need to mix it up because it can get stale to your ears. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus died for my sins. Rescue and adopt. And we use the same words because there's power in that language. And we believe in it. We're not running away from it. But you can't see that. There's no video. Let's cut to a tape of Jesus dying and raising from the dead. It's just words. It actually happened. But if you don't have the wow to go with the how, how you were saved, if you don't have the wow of Jesus working in your life, something that your testimony, the everyday, something that nobody can take from you, like then it gets hard. It gets really hard because you just keep going back to something that happened 2,000 years ago that we're believing by faith, but it's not, that's not what you're supposed to stop at. Your faith is supposed to be what Jesus did, and how do you know that that's real? How do you know that he saved me? How? By the wow of Jesus every day working in your life. There's wow in that, that Jesus is available and in our room and in our church and has plans, and he's not sweating about ice and snow and COVID. Like, he's going to work. And you experience that and taste that, and it's like, wow, the God of the universe with 7 billion people knows my name and is intimately involved in my life. Like, that is the wow. It's through Jesus, it's not about trying harder. Again, my 22-year-old self would hear this message and would leave here, oh, my faith is going to have some action, and I'm going to try hard. And, and, you know, there's a level of that that could be good, but most of that isn't. Because it's about connecting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit living through you. Right? When, when I got uh, COVID a month ago, and I was in the bed with chills, I wasn't trying to have chills. I wasn't trying to be sick. There was a germ, there's an infection in me, and it was producing that. That is an analogy in the positive when Jesus comes into your life, and it's a process, we're all working, but it is, you're not trying to go do good stuff. Jesus is in you, and he's good, and he's going to work through you, and your faith in him is going to produce action. Remember how we define faith? We started this series, by faith, Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is this faith? It says, now this faith is a confidence of what you hope for. And it's a certainty and assurance of what you cannot see. If you're confident of what you hope for, and you're sure and becoming more sure, even through your doubts of what you cannot see, then 
that faith is going to produce action. If you're seriously, this is common sense. The month of February starts this this week. If you're confident of what your hope is in, Jesus and Jesus alone, who he is, who he says he is, who he says you are, the future, his future, the church's future, the end of this world, forever is coming, all that stuff. If you're confident of that and you're certain that there's all kinds of stuff happening behind the scenes that you can't see and I can't see, but it's real. If you're sure of that, you're absolutely going to live February differently. You just are through his power, not yours. The wow, Ephesians 2.10. This is wow right here. We are his workmanship, which if you look at that word in the Greek, it's, it's like his masterpiece. There's art in that word. We are his painting created in Christ Jesus. Why are we created? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So this whole theological argument that some of you are aware of, most of you are probably not, and we're not going to get into it. This whole theological argument about works and, and, and people worried like, we're well, not saved by works, you're saving, and all that's true, but then works get a bad name. Works get like this negative thing, like works, are, no, works are beautiful. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're saved by Jesus, but you're created to do good by faith, right? Because faith and action always work together. Here's how it's said in the book of Titus 2.14, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, lawless, all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, listen to this, he purifies a people for himself for his own possession who are, this is the definition of God's people, he's creating a people, you might call it a body, a church, who will do what? Who are zealous, I love that word, for what? For good works. Zealous is like a passion, a hunger. That's supposed to be us, right? Some of you, passion. We got to get our passion back. I know you're passionate about this. We're passionate about sports, passion. Like our number one passion is Jesus, right? We're passionate that we were actually chosen and rescued and adopted, that we are loved, that our identity is in him, that that's real. And we're passionate. Passionate for what specifically? To do good stuff. Not to get a pat on the back, not to get saved. Or we're saved through Jesus, right? Through grace, by faith. But we're passionate, hunger to do good. So what should you do with this? Good stuff. You should do good works. You should live good works lives. Not to be saved, right? We don't earn God's love by our good works. Our good works are our response to God's love. Listen to that again, because one of those lives is miserable and one of those is full of joy. Miserable is I'm going to do good stuff to earn God's love. That's miserable because you'll, you'll just battle and fall short and try to impress people. But no, I have God's love. It was given to me freely. I didn't earn it. I could never earn it, but, but, but it's real. And because it's real, because it's real, man, I'm, I'm excited. to. I'm zealous. I'm looking for good. To do, you know, we, oh, one more verse, let, Titus 3, 14, let, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. That's us. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. It's been one of my biggest personal struggles in the pandemic is I felt at times certain weeks where just not able to do and be, and it's hard to do ministry without personal contact. I felt at times unfruitful. I hate that word. Right, but we're called to devote ourselves to good works, not to earn God's love. 
but because we are loved by God. We get excited about devoting, about helping people, about seeing needs. What y'all did with Hand of Hope over Christmas with the angel tree, what, what, not just the money that we send to uh, lost sheep, uh, you know, helping homeless folks here in Raleigh and, and we love from Jesus down the road and Hand of Hope um, in Honduras, like that, the, the money is big and that helps, but the, the volunteer hours and the gifts and, and they write notes and they send them to the church and sometimes they got my name on them, like I did anything, right? Y'all blessed all these families and then there's some back here, kids writing notes of how best Christmas ever, thank you so much. Right? That's the power of good. And we, we don't take like, oh, look at us. It's No, that's faith in action, of course. That's what we do. We help people. We find needs and we bless people. We're looking for good. We're devoted to it. We're excited about it. We're zealous for it. Right? We'll be talking about ways you can help around here, but that's not what this is. You see the difference between, hey, let's have a sign-up Sunday and get some help around here as we're going to two services versus... Is your faith in God, if your faith in God, then nobody's got to, you know, manipulate you into signing up. You're like, man, I'm, I'm zealous and we're coming back to life in our culture and specifically, I don't know what's going to happen out there. We're coming back to life at Relentless Church. So there's something brewing in us. Where can I serve? In the ministries we support? Sure. On Sunday morning? Absolutely. Right? We have needs. That would be awesome. Right? You can do that. You can go on our website, click serve. Our biggest need is in kids and going to two services. Like We're going to hit all that. So if you want to just go ahead and say, you know what? You don't, even, you don't even have to preach about that in February because we're going to knock it out on January. That'd be awesome. But that's not what this is. What this is, is you in your every moment life, allowing faith, confidence of what I'm hoping for and certainty of what I don't see, allowing that to get you excited and motivated and freed of how can I do good in my dorm room, in my apartment, in my study group, in my marriage, in my family, in my job, in my athletics, in my academics. Man, I'm, I'm not trying to earn God's love. God already gave it. And because he gave it, man, I get to spend this life not pressure. Man, what a great job we get. Go do good through Jesus. All right, every conversation, every meeting, you get, a, you get a chance. Now, sometimes it's much harder than others. I know. But through Jesus, you get to go be good. That's a fun thing to do. This world needs good. We're devoted to good works, our faith and action working together. Right? That's, that's worth a life. Right? How can we serve? How can we give? How can we bless? That's a fun way to live. As God, it's the way you were designed to live. You were created. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you can see, if you're not living faith in action, if you're not having a chance, whatever, pandemic, we're not just able to, if we're not been doing much good lately, man, we're living outside of what we were created for. And that's why some of us are kind of just grumpy because we haven't been able to live fully the life that God has called us to live. I want to show you the full paragraph. I gave you that one sentence from Dr. King about we're, we're great on creeds and we're low on deeds in the church. Let me tell you specifically what he was talking about. Remember, this was 60 years ago. I'll read this whole paragraph to you. Oh, it has been said many times and I'm forced to repeat it. It's tragic indeed that the church is the most segregated major institution in America. It's tragic indeed that on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock when we stand to sing, in Christ there is no East or West, we stand in the most segregated hour of Christian America. So often in the church, we've had a high blood pressure of creeds 
and an anemia of deeds. But thank God we're beginning now to shake the lethargy from our souls. We're coming to see that if we are to be true followers of Jesus Christ, we must stand up and solve this problem. Well, the problem he was speaking of is the segregated church in America. And at that time, there was no multi-ethnic church movement. In fact, it was 40 years. 40 years after he made the accusation to the American church that we're high on what we say and low on what we do. 40 years until there even going to be a beginning of a movement to solve the problem he was specifically addressing. That's part of our good. Right? We, we live in a different time and a different generation. Part of our good is to, is to be a part of his multi-ethnic church, not that Dr. King called us to, but that Jesus himself, and it's all through scripture and Ephesians. We've broken all that down several times. We are called to be. That's part of the good. It's not all of the good. It's part of the good to be a multi-ethnic church, not to be diverse in, in, in our congregation, but to be diverse in our relationships, in our community, that we would have people from all walks of life, from all ages, from all perspectives, from all skin colors, from all everything, coming together and choosing to walk by faith, not by sight. That's the power. So sometimes you feel like, man, I, I feel, I don't know. Like, if you're part of this, that's part of the good work that God has called us to, right? And we're going to keep going. Our best days are in front of us. We went to uh, Honduras as a church. I didn't go, but we sent a team. We'll send another team. I went to Haiti several times. The first few times, I just wanted to survive. I wanted to, you know, not get hurt. I wanted to come home safe. It took me a long time to realize I'm a missionary, and I get to go receive and learn a lot from others, but also hopefully bless. And some of you will go to Honduras. A, there's a partnership we have that we can talk about at another time. But, but I think God wants you to leave this room here in a second. Understanding you're a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and hang with us. You're in the right place in the right church. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a missionary to whoever God put whatever circles of influence, you are a missionary there. And I know that gets complicated in public schools and some other places. And you got to, you know, be smart and depend on his wisdom, not yours. But you're a missionary to your street. He didn't put you in accidentally in the neighborhood you live. You're a missionary to your team. You're a missionary to a roommate. You're, you're, you're a missionary. Your mission field is wherever God has put you. And he desperately wants to see and work in your faith to produce action that brings people to him. That's what we're going to pray happens even this week. I want you to remember Mark 2 this week, and then we want you to be here next week. Um, I think it's Super Bowl Sunday. Is that, is that next week? No, two weeks. Uh, well, next week is our Super Bowl Sunday because it's the last uh, week of this By Faith series, so we want you to be here. Uh, we got some cool stuff uh, that we're going to end this series with. So I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to pray you home. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, just the blessing. God, we take so much, I take so much for granted, and it is so good to be in this place with people, and not just any people, God, but this precious flock, uh, this beautiful uh, congregation of, of broken, flawed humans that are just trying to walk by faith and not by what we see, and we need you, and we need each other, and I pray this week we would we would walk by faith into your word. We would spend time in Mark 2 and just learn about Jesus and how he walked and what he did and what he said. It would move us and change us. 
And God, I pray that we would never be a church of dead faith, that our faith would not be just verbal, that it would, it would be accompanied with action and that we could see and show that Jesus is real by faith producing action in our everyday lives. We pray that now in Jesus' name, amen.